We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Blue Wire. Hey, this is George Kittle, and you're listening to Candlestick Chronicles. New England sending QB Jimmy Garoppolo to 49ers. We believe we found the right guy. Garoppolo, quick pass, caught by Kittle. He dives, and he's in. Touchdown, 49ers. Kittle, he's going to go. Touchdown. Yeah, you heard it there. It's Candlestick Chronicles, a 49ers podcast on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. That gentleman sitting right over there, that's Chris Biederman. He covers the 49ers for the Sacramento Bee. I'm Kyle Madsen. I write about the 49ers over at NinersWire.com. We have a guest with us today, Nick Wagner, friend of the pod, covers the 49ers for ESPN.com. Nick, welcome to the pod. How's it going? It's going good. Thanks for having me, although I, I have to admit I was a little reticent to do this just because I knew that I wasn't your first choice. So, Bill K- Bill Craycraft, wherever you are, thanks for bowing out so that I can have the opportunity to join the pod this week. That's all I have to say. That's awesome. That's why Nick's our favorite cast member. Exactly. <laughs> Nick so, listens to the pod and, and gets the jokes. Uh, Bill Craycraft, if you didn't listen to the last episode, we did a joke about Bill Craycraft instead of River Craycraft, and somebody on Twitter sent us a screenshot of a LinkedIn page for Bill Craycraft, <laughs> and he's like a communications person for the Ninth Circuit Court and lives in San Jose. It's incredible. Uh, so we're efforting Bill Craycraft to get him on the pod, but Nick will do for now. Which is good because we have a 49ers and Saints game to talk about, but it's tough to kind of learn things about the 49ers right now because of how banged up they are. It looks like they'll be getting a little bit healthier after the bye, which is next week. So before we kind of dig into the Saints game a little bit and some of the bigger picture stuff that we're looking at there, we're going to 
dive into some of the injury news because it wouldn't be a 2020 49ers podcast without some injury talk. So let's there's there's a few bits of news, guys, and I'm going to just go down one by one here, and we'll kind of crack each egg open as we go. The first one is Chikwaski Tart, Kyle Shanahan on a Bay Area radio station today, uh, Thursday, said that Jaquaski Tart is done for the year with a turf toe injury. How, I, I guess, I don't want to just ask you, Chris, what are your thoughts, but how big of a loss is this for the Niners' defense? Like, is this going to be the thing that, pushes them from possibly making a miracle run? I don't know if it'll be the thing. It'll be part of many, many things. But sure. I, I think ultimately what what the injury means, or I guess what my first thought was, was whether or not Jaquasi Tart has played his last snap with the 49ers, just given that he's a free agent after the end of the season. Um, we know about all the guys they have to pay, whether that's um, you know Trent Williams, Fred Warner, uh, Richard Sherman, potentially Jason Verrett, Kyle Juszczyk, and we'll talk about those guys a little bit later on with Nick. But for me, it, it seems like the 49ers would be better off finding a replacement on a rookie contract, um, maybe with you know a second or third round draft pick than they would bringing Tart back. Just given that, yeah, Tart's a, really, Tart's a good player when, when he's healthy and available. The problem is, is he's missed 28 games, 28 regular season games of his last 64 over the last four seasons, and you know, you you have to be a superstar player for that to be sort of tolerable, I guess, on any level. And it's it's not that um, I don't know if tolerable is the right word, but for somebody you, you want to give another contract to, um, I'd have to think you would want that person to to be more available than Tart has been. So um, yeah, the first the first thing that jumped to my mind was whether or not Tart will be back with the 49ers, and I tend to think he won't be. You know, it's interesting you say that because I could actually see Tart almost falling into a similar category to what Jimmy Ward was two years ago. Uh, I think where everybody just kind of assumed he was done because he was hurt so often um, and, you know, he was going to hit the open market. And then it turned out that his market really wasn't there because teams didn't really know what they were getting. And uh, I agree with you, Chris, in that I think Tart is not going to be uh, a, a super high priority in terms of giving a big contract to, but I do think he might end up being one of those guys that kind of slips through the cracks a little bit when it comes to free agency. Uh, one, because of the fact that he has had trouble staying on the field, and two, because the salary cap dropping, that teams are only going to have X number of guys that they're going to be willing to give big contracts to. So while I, I don't disagree with your overall point of saying that you know he's someone who could probably be replaced with you know, a second, third round pick, something like that. If you could bring him back at a very reasonable rate, which I don't think is outrageous to think is possible at this point, maybe you do that, and then you can use that second or third round resource somewhere else. Is he is he an effective enough player, do you think, Nick, that, that they'd want to do that? Or do you think they want to get better at that spot? I mean, I think I think they're okay. I think they're fine with him. Uh, to Chris's point, if if he's healthy, I think he is a, an effective enough player. And I think part of it is it, it becomes that kind of value proposition where are you really wanting to invest you know a certain amount of money at that particular position? And in this defense, I don't think they do generally. I, I don't think strong safety is a position they put a ton of value on. Certainly not as much as free safety, and they won't go to the lengths that they did with Jimmy Ward, but. 
I would think they would have a certain number that they would be okay paying someone like Jaquaski Tart to bring him back. And again, it just kind of goes into the big picture. I know we'll get into this more later of where uh, where are you willing to spend your resources and if you can maybe find a way to keep some of these guys who aren't going to cost you a ton of money, you can invest other resources like draft picks in more premium positions, which I think is what you'd rather do in those situations. Yeah, so so going through other news, um, Kwan Williams is going to be out four to six weeks, and and that potentially, uh, obviously, with uh, seven games left, ends his season. Uh, if the 49ers decide that it's not worth it to bring him back for for just one game, and it might be that that's what Kwan Williams decides too, because he's also a free agent. Um, and we can talk about that later. I think the 49ers probably value him a little bit more than Jaquaski Tart, um, even though typically safety is a is a more lucrative position even than slot cornerback. Although that might be changing. Um, so we'll we'll have that Kwan discussion uh, in a little bit. But also, Shanahan said Debo Samuel's questionable to play, uh, or I guess a long shot to play Sunday in New Orleans. Um, he hasn't practiced the first two days of, of this week, so to me it sounds like he's not going to play. Um, Shanahan was hoping that Kendrick Bourne could come off the COVID list in time to practice on Friday. We'll have to see about that. He landed back on the list for a second time uh, in less than a week <clears throat> earlier this week. And so um, it's uncertain if he's going to clear and, and uh, be ready in, in time for Sunday. Um, River Craycraft going to be a game-time decision. I know everybody's really worried about that. And Trent Taylor came back to practice Thursday after missing Wednesday uh, with back stiffness. So, Nick, I, I do want to ask you, what do you think the offense, um, in terms of the skill positions, at, especially receiver, is going to look like on Sunday? And who do you think stands to benefit from uh, who's healthy and, and who's down? Well, yeah, I mean, it's, it certainly seems at this point like you're, you're looking at a situation where you have very limited options regardless. So it's, it's really just a matter of kind of doing the math. Uh, and, and Brandon Ayuk is a guy that obviously is going to be heavily involved, and he would have been heavily involved last week against the Packers had he had he been able to. Uh, and then after that, you're looking at Richie James, uh, I, I would imagine would be involved again, and, and probably Trent Taylor if, if he makes it through the rest of the week or makes it through Friday and is, is good to go. But, yeah, I don't think they have a whole ton of options at this point. I, I think they'll probably start maybe getting Jordan Reed back a little bit more involved than, than he was last week. They kind of eased him in. He didn't play a whole lot of snaps, but maybe he gets back into that 25 to 30 snap range this week. But certainly not a whole lot of options right now for for that offense, especially if Kendrick Bourne isn't able to get back and go. Which would explain why the 49ers are 10-point underdogs. I don't know that, that this game needs a whole lot of analysis from our part. I think, to Kyle's point earlier, it's probably better that we have bigger discussions about some of the more pressing things that, that we have Nick here. So, Nick, I... Let's dive into the uh, the Jimmy Garoppolo conversation because I, th- that's really the biggest question I think looming o- over everything in 2020 is that given the 49ers are pretty unlikely to make the playoffs now with Nick Mullins and uh, playing quarterback on top of all the under- injuries they're dealing with, the result of 2020 is going to be the future of Jimmy Garoppolo, whether that's with the team or, or if it's not. In my opinion, I don't know that they're necessarily going to find somebody better than Jimmy Garoppolo or who gives them a better shot to win a Super Bowl right away next year, but I do think they could find a much better value um, at quarterback given that the COVID situation is is causing the salary cap to shrink and all of that. I think, you know, ultimately to me the question is if Jimmy Garoppolo were a free agent on the open market, 
there's, you know, what's he getting? And I don't think it's anything close to $28 million a year, right? So I think Jimmy Garoppolo at this point is probably a, I don't know, $15 million quarterback. If he's healthy, I think that's sort of what the market would bear out for him, for a team needing a quarterback. They probably wouldn't want to go all the way in with one of those, you know, $30 million a year contracts. But I think, you know, 12 to 15 seems like something reasonable for Jimmy Garoppolo, which makes me wonder why the 49ers would pay $28 million to Garoppolo if if he if he's simply not worth that at a time when you have a bunch of free agents to pay who we're going to go through a little bit later. Um, and that, you know, really the worst thing you can be in the NFL is a team that's paying the wrong quarterback. So that's not to say that I don't think the 49ers can win with Garoppolo. I just think they'll be in a better spot in terms of reconstructing the roster paying the guys they need to pay if they're not paying $28 million for the level of production they've got from Jimmy Garoppolo. Nick, what, what do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, I think the Garoppolo situation, it, look, I know everybody wants it to just be this cut-and-dry thing, like the Niners need to move on or the Niners need to stay with them. And it's, it's, it really isn't that. There's a lot of layers to it, uh, you know, no matter what you think of Jimmy Garoppolo. And to me, I think you have to start peeling that – peeling back kind of, you know, each layer and before you get to what your conclusion is. And we don't even have all the answers to really come to a conclusion yet. But I start here, and it's with two with two things, and it's two things I, I know you and I have talked about, Chris, at practice and in, in other conversations. But number one is the injury history. And, and at this point, you're getting to a situation where Jimmy Garoppolo's injury history is troublesome. It, it's certainly something that you look at and you say, can he stay on the field? Because no matter what you think about him as a quarterback, just put that aside for a second. Don't even think about your evaluation of him. And I know that's a polarizing thing for a lot of people, whether he's good enough or not. But put that to the side and just focus on the injuries. If he doesn't play another game the rest of the year, he'll have missed 23 games over the last three seasons. And if you start if you start looking at that and you say, okay, well, but the one season he played, he took you to the Super Bowl. And that's good. That that shows you what the upside can be if he's healthy, but also if everybody else is pretty healthy. Not that they were completely healthy last year, but close enough. Their key players certainly were. And, guys, I covered a team. I covered the Rams for a long time when they were in St. Louis. And I watched them year after year waiting and wishing and hoping that Sam Bradford was, A, going to stay healthy, and, B, when he did stay healthy, was going to finally reach that potential that they believed he had. And you literally throw away entire seasons waiting for that to happen. I saw them do it over and over and over before they finally cut bait. So the worst thing you can do is just keep hoping and wishing that your quarterback is going to stay healthy. And then the second part of that equation is is the money. And you just mentioned it, Chris, how much money he's due. And at some point, again, whether you think he's good enough or not, if you're paying him that much money and you don't know that he's going to be on the field, don't you? Doesn't that kind of answer the question for you? Don't you have to at least start looking at what what your other options are? And I think that's kind of the situation that the 49ers are in right now. Not necessarily to the point where it's got to be okay. They're definitely going to move on, or, the, or that they're not going to move on from Jimmy Garoppolo. But I, I certainly think that they're at least at a point now where they're going to have to take all of the factors into play, and that's when they find, figure out what their draft pick's going to be, when they figure out who the quarterbacks available in the draft are going to be, when they figure out who the quarterbacks are, are going to be that are uh, going to be available in free agency. When you get all those pieces in place, then you can make that decision. And to your point, Chris. It could be a situation where they keep Jimmy around and maybe they and they bring in competition. I certainly think that's a, a likely possibility. Or maybe they do end up 
finding their guy in the draft and move trading up to get him or, or somebody in free agency or whatever. But um, there, there's so many pieces to this puzzle that still kind of have to fall in place over the next few months before I think you're going to get any sort of real clarity on this situation. One of the things that stands out to me is the list of available quarterbacks. It's like Dak Prescott, Cam Newton, Jameis Winston. That's like the top tier of the available quarterbacks next year. And then it's Phillip Rivers, and you've got uh, your Ryan Fitzpatrick's of the world. And, like, players that I don't think are going to cost significantly less than Garoppolo will for, for one season. Like, they'll cost less. But I don't know if it's if it's worth, A, removing Garoppolo from the locker room, who from what I understand, and you guys can can tell me otherwise, but from what I understand, he's well-liked. And you have to then get a guy who's learning an entirely new system. And the idea of plugging a rookie quarterback in and going to the Super Bowl, a rookie's never started a Super Bowl. So you're if you're plugging in a rookie and, and starting him at, at any point during the season, you're effectively punting that season based on what we know from history. So that's that. Those are the reasons I think they wind up sticking with Garoppolo. Um, I, I just I don't think they can get a lot cheaper while still keeping their Super Bowl window open next year. And you certainly don't do that if you're starting a, a, a rookie. So that's my take. And, and, and I think I think that's a fair point. And I I think it's certainly the the big question. Anytime you're going to replace anybody in an organization at any position, but particularly at the major positions, whether it's head coach or general manager or quarterback you know, the things that kind of make up the core of your franchise, you have to be certain that you're going to get somebody better. And in most cases, when you're drafting a rookie, you're not certain. You're just hopeful that that's the case. So maybe you set yourself up in a situation where you draft someone who you think could be better and has that potential to be better, but you also hang on to Garoppolo knowing that in the meantime, maybe he can be the guy that keeps you in contention, and if everything falls into place again, uh, you're a contender and he makes a move, and then best-case scenario, you end up in a situation like, you know, like the Chargers once had with, with Drew Brees and, and Phillip Rivers. And, you know, you obviously handle it better than the Chargers did in that situation. But but certainly you have that, that kind of possibility where you have a couple of guys and maybe then Garoppolo regains trade value or whatever it is. That's kind of your, your best-case scenario. But uh, I, I agree with you, Kyle. It's not, it's not easy to go out and just find somebody who – throws for nearly 4,000 yards and, and leads you to an NFC championship, the, the question is, is, is just what, how, much, how many resources are you willing to put into trying to potentially find his replacement, um, particularly if you don't know exactly what you're getting in return? So what, one thing I, I've thought about, and I don't, I don't have any clue really on, on how contract negotiations work and, and where agents um, are at with, with these lines of thinking, but... To me, if I'm the 49ers, I'm seeing if, if I can get a pay cut from Jimmy Garoppolo. Um, and basically, I, I don't know if they would have to you know, give him an ultimatum and say, we're going to cut you if you don't take this. But like, if, the, the thing, the, if, if I'm John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan, I'm looking at the roster and saying, I need to, to get back to the Super Bowl, I need Trent Williams, I need Richard Sherman, um, or you know somebody like that at cornerback, somebody who can play at a high level. Maybe it's somebody younger than Sherman. 
I'm you have to pay Fred Warner regardless. So this is like you know forty five million dollars in salary. You're just sort of adding onto the equation, and the Forty ers do not have that kind of space right now. <clears throat> now they might if they're able to to get rid of D Ford's contract. Potentially if they're able to get rid of um, Weston Richburg's contract, but you need those guys to to go back to the Super Bowl regardless, right? Because I don't think Jimmy Garoppolo is somebody now, based on what we've seen, who can elevate a downtrodden roster or a roster, just elevate his roster, elevate the people around him. I think the guy that that came in in 2017 is gone because he just looks like a completely different quarterback. And I don't know whether that's because of the injuries, um, because he was just sort of playing with house money in 2017 and there wasn't this Super Bowl bust, Super Bowl or bust expectation placed on his team. Um, For whatever reason, that version of Garoppolo is gone. So for me, I have to get those guys at premium positions who are expensive on my roster if I want to make a Super Bowl run. And I just don't know how you can do that with Jimmy Garoppolo making that kind of money, given that we're in a pandemic and the salary cap's gonna gonna shrink. So Nick, is have you ever seen a situation where a team just says we're, you know, the team requests a pay cut uh, for 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 a significant player, and if not, like, hey, we're gonna cut you otherwise? Yeah, I mean, I I can't think of I can't think of one like right off the top of my head. I know I know teams have tried to do things like that in situations uh, similar to this, but it's it's really unique to have it with a quarterback who literally just took your team to the Super Bowl and, and was, you know, like you said, kind of the, the face of the franchise uh, very recently. And, and so uh, your point is taken, certainly, that there's got to be a, a possibility that they're going to reach out and try to figure out a way to, um, you know, make something work where he's, he's not making as much money. Uh, but also, I, I think at some point you, you have to reach a, a, a conclusion on whether he's going to be your guy or not, and he's going to want that. He's going to want that answer himself. And I do think there will be a market for Jimmy Garoppolo. I, I'm, I'm not necessarily saying he's going to go out and get another $25-plus plus million a year contract, but I look at the, at the landscape in terms of quarterbacks right now and say, all right, look how many teams are going to definitely need one. And there's there's a number of them that you know for sure are going to need a quarterback. And then there's a bunch that kind of fall into that same bucket, to borrow your guys' favorite phrase, uh, you know, that, that bucket of teams that probably could use a quarterback, but you don't know if they're going to make that move or not. Uh, I think that I think there's a number of teams that, that are right into that mix as well. And so um, I, I do think that if, if, you, if you made Jimmy Garoppolo available in a trade, I think teams would be interested. And I think if he hit the open market, I think he would be highly coveted. I, I, I do, just based on the fact that he's done it and that there's a lot of teams that need him. What, what contract do you think you would get on the open market? Oh, boy. It's hard to say without knowing exactly what the cap would be, but I, I think he would be approaching that. You know, similar to what maybe like a Nick Foles got from Jacksonville, which I think was what twenty ish, eighteen twenty, somewhere in there per year. Um, so still, so still a substantial cut, but I I don't think it would be quite as as devastating as as you know maybe half, uh, just because we've seen it. We've seen an example. I mean, you know, yeah, Nick, yeah. Nick Foles actually won a Super Bowl, but uh, you know, he he didn't have a, as much of a complete year as as what Jimmy Garoppolo had in two thousand nineteen either. All right, let's shift gears to uh, to the defensive side because the the Forty Niners might have a a really fascinating question coming up on them regarding Robert Sala and their defensive coordinator spot. 
Um, and I guess before we ponder what life could look like without Robert Sala, if he does take um, a head coaching job this off season, that what do you think? Uh, what, what do you think this year has done for Robert Sala's coaching stock? Because it was probably, it seemed like it was at a high last year, but he didn't end up getting a job. Um, and a lot of people thought it would be a sure thing this year, but I think I think some of that sheen has maybe worn off just because the defense isn't dominating like it was last year. But I actually think he's probably done one of his best jobs overall since coming to the 49ers this year because the defense is still playing reasonably well without so many of its key pieces. It's going to look so different next season than it did the day of the Super Bowl. I, I, I think it's just they're they're a not going to be able to pay to bring a, several good players back, and b they're going to have to kind of start restocking so they don't find themselves in a in a spot they were in in 2014 where they lost some guys and and didn't have any anybody to replace them with. So I I, I imagine that that next year's defense is going to look pretty dramatically different. Yeah, I agree. Um, I, I'm very, very interested to see how they handle the cornerback situation because they have none of the guys signed on their team are are signed through next season. Like their entire cornerback group is slated for for free agency or some form of it in the spring. And so now, if there is something to watch over over uh, the last seven games of the season, it's how the 49ers evaluate what's happening in the secondary. And I guess. I, that that's probably a good place uh, to transition into free agents we want to talk about and, and get Nick's thoughts on. Um, so let's start in the secondary because you have Richard Sherman. Um, he'll be, what, 33 next year. Uh, he's coming off – he would be coming off a season where he missed a bulk of it with a calf injury. That's obviously related to all the Achilles stuff he dealt with in years prior. Um Nick, what what do you think Richard Sherman's market's going to be like in the offseason, and and what do you think the likelihood is that he's back? Yeah, I think that's one of those situations that a lot of a lot of that will depend on what happens here over the final six or seven games, and let's just assume that he doesn't play uh, Sunday against the Saints, but maybe maybe he'll surprise us. He will. You and I both thought he was moving around pretty good at practice and practicing with a purpose uh, on Thursday, so so maybe he does. But either way, six or seven games. Uh, I think to not only show that he can, he is healthy. Uh, that that's first and foremost the box that he's going to have to check, uh, but also just that he isn't a skill diminished player or not uh, is not diminished in the way that some people might think he is uh, over over those final six games or seven games. So uh, that's going to really kind of determine what his market is. But I, I also do think, Chris, and I mentioned this to you at practice today, uh, a guy like Richard Sherman who. Given the fact that he he's coming off the injury issue that's going to limit him, he's going to play less than half the games this year, uh, and and he's 33 and he plays cornerback and he only wants to go for a couple more years. Uh, is that a guy who's going to go hit the open market and really cash in? Probably not. I mean, the, the, there's more likely than not he's not going to get maybe the type of contract that he wants. Maybe he gets another situation where. He gets a nice chunk of change up front and then has b- big incentives built into it, similar to what he did with the Niners this time, but maybe even to a further extent. I could see him coming back 
in that type of a scenario. But if I was a betting man, I, I would just think that maybe he's probably not. He's probably not going to be back. That maybe the Niners will will look to go in a different direction and, and and try to save some money in that way. But again, I put that in the same kind of situation as as I do some of these other guys, like I did with Chikwaski Tart earlier where I think the Niners probably have a value assigned to every player and, and what they're willing, the extent that they're willing to go to pay to keep that person. And if it goes beyond that, they'll probably say goodbye. And so that's going to kind of be where the rubber meets the road. What that number is, I don't know. And I'm not sure the Niners even know until they see what, uh, what Richard Sherman still has in the tank at this point. I'm going to dive in with a maybe not popular take. Uh, I think the fact that what what let me what Sherman's done in his career to this point has been pretty remarkable, and playing at the level that he did last year, especially coming off the Achilles injury, and you know being a second team All Pro and and being as good as he was and helping the team get to the Super Bowl, like he was a key reason they were able to do that. But going into this off season, you're going to have him had missed what uh, 10, 11 games with a calf injury that may be related to, to the Achilles issues he was having. He's going to be another year older. And if you're bringing him back on a very minimal contract, great. Because I, I, I think that that having him around is, is fine and having him available is good. But I don't know if paying Richard Sherman like a, any kind of substantial contract is a prudent move for a Niners team that's trying to get get younger and extend their championship window beyond one or two years. I just don't know. Maybe there's no market for Sherman and he comes back for a million bucks, but I don't think that's going to happen. I think there's a team that's probably going to pay to have him. And I don't think the Niners should get into a bidding war for him. No, I don't think they'd have to. Um, I think to Nick's point, I think that's a good one in that you could probably bring him back for, for relatively cheap. But what what are you doing opposite Sherman, right? Because you need you need to have um, as as Forty ers fans are well well aware, you need to have a good cornerback opposite Sherman um, because locking one side of the field down just sometimes isn't enough. And so I, I'm really curious to get Nick's thoughts about um, about Jason Verrett because I have no idea what his market would be. And I think it might be something where he just decides to come back to the 49ers on a, on a one-year contract to, to prove it again and maybe cash out with a contract in 2022. Um, th- those are my thoughts, but I have, I have no idea about Jason Verrett. Nick, what, what, do, what do you think is going to happen? Yeah, I, I, I kind of referenced this earlier uh, when we were talking about Joukowsky Tart, uh, but I think Jason Verrett is in a similar situation to what Jimmy Ward was two years ago. Uh where people are going to look at what he's done this year. They're going to be impressed. They're going to say, okay, this is a guy who can play, but we're probably not comfortable giving him a big contract just yet. But if he can go out and do it again, now you've got a two-year sample size, and he could potentially cash in the following year. The the problem for Jason Verrett is is he's almost 30 years old now, uh, and so he obviously is going to want to – cash in soon and I just reported a big story or a big story about him a couple weeks ago and uh, in talking to people the one thing that I kept getting back was that you know Jason Verrett's not a guy who is motivated by money he's motivated by his love for the game and his, just trying to prove to himself that he can get back to the level that he was at and I believe all of that to be true but I also believe that 
you know, he does want to be compensated at some point uh, to the level that he can play at, which you're kind of starting to see this year. So I, I would tend to think that the market won't be very big in terms of teams that want to give him a big multi-year contract. But I do think that the market could be pretty big and, and aggressive in terms of multiple teams offering him a one-year deal, but the number, the millions of dollars that go with that one year maybe rises up, and then you start getting into a little bit of a bidding war in that regard. And that's where I think the Niners are going to have that kind of push and pull of trying to figure out what it is that they're willing to pay him. The one thing I do know that they have going to their advantage, this is something that Jason Brett has talked about a lot and that I talked to him about a couple of weeks ago, is – he really, really, really believes in a lot of the technology and uh, the facilities that they have available for him as, as a player who's come off so many injuries and some of the things that he can get in, in that regard in terms of treatment and things like that. Um, and I know that sounds ridiculous, but when you've been through so much like he has, that stuff does matter, and it, it may not matter quite as much as the money. But, again, in his case, I think you're probably looking at another one-year uh, maybe a two-year deal, you know, or a one-year with an option, something like that. But the number of millions is going to be higher than you certainly would have expected it to be at the beginning of the year. Nick, I think you just kind of just described the the plot of Captain America. You're going to have to take me through that. It's been a while. I've seen it. It's been a while, though. Okay, never mind. Joke fell flat. That's fine, Chris. <laughs> hey, swing it a minute. I'll workshop it. <laughs> The the first one like J, like Jason Verrett yeah, just Jason came out of whatever Frozen right. Hibernation and no he like well I mean no that's that's the the end of the first one but uh, spoiler alert no you, <laughs> it's you, been a while so, okay so the joke worked in my head it's it's always good when you explain it so <laughs> no those are the best jokes the ones you have to explain the joke was that you said they liked the facilities and the technology that they had for him. And that was basically what happened to Steve Rogers was they turned him into this super soldier with their facilities and their technology. Uh, really, like, had to really reach for it, but uh, it was there in my head. And you know what? It just didn't didn't turn out the way we wanted. I was confident in the play that I called, and it just it didn't work out this time. So we'll just go back to the drawing board and, and do better next week. The good news is, is if you hurt your shoulder reaching so high, I know a good place with some good facilities. That you, <laughs> so you should be okay, my friend. So. Reality is, I would never be able to afford to go there. <laughs> Chris, save me. <laughs> All right, um, Kwan Williams, uh, free agent, probably not going to play again this season, or if he does, it would only be for a week or two. Um, typically, slot cornerbacks don't get paid a whole lot, but there might be a movement coming. Maybe Kwan Williams is a part of it, where we start to see teams value more. Um, value the slot cornerback spot a little bit more in terms of the way they compensate those players. So is this a situation where maybe the 49ers are able to bring K1 back um, for maybe a little bit less than, than we think? Or is he going to be somebody who could cash out on the open market for somebody trying to replicate what the 49ers or some version of what the 49ers did in 2019. Yeah, I think he's a little different just in the sense that he, he does have the bigger sample size of being a productive player. Uh, and he's done it for a few years now. Um, and he's also a guy who this is probably his best chance at a, at a real sizable contract where he can cash in. So my expectation is that K1 Williams is certainly going to be looking for that type of a contract and go into the market 
believing that that type of contract is out there for him. Certainly every player that goes out there, I need to stop saying certainly, uh, every player that goes out there uh, is going to look for that type of a contract, but... I don't know. I don't know that they're all going to be able to get one. Whereas I think Kwan Williams probably has the belief and understanding that that that's a possibility for him. So uh, I I think he's a guy who the Niners would like to keep is probably going to be something of a priority for him because they do uh, put a lot on that nickel corner spot. Uh, but I also think that he's going to have a lot of interest and be a guy that goes out there. And and, and you know I don't think it's going to be in that nine million dollar a year range, which we've seen. A couple of the top nickel corners of the last couple of years getting into that into that type of range. I don't think it's going to quite be at that level, and maybe the injury this year actually saves some of that and keeps the Niners in the game. But I think he's going to be one of those guys who is I don't know if sneaky hard to to keep is the right way uh, to put it, but but certainly going to be a gosh I did it again. Uh, that, that, <laughs> that is that is going to be that's going to be tough for them to keep. Well, let me let me jump in here real quick. A guy like Chris Harris, really good slot defender. He got two years, seventeen million, with eleven and a half guaranteed. Is that probably where Kwan's market starts? You think, or do you not think he gets up that high? Uh, I think with the cap dropping, you know, and I don't think the cap's going to drop all the way to one seventy five. I think it's going to end up probably closer in the one eighty five range, something like that. Um, but I think that's probably a good example, Kyle. I think that's the kind of deal. Uh, that he's probably going to be looking at. Maybe he gets a, another year or so tacked on to so so something in the three for 22, 22 and a half, maybe somewhere in there, uh, something like that would, would make sense for him. But it's really hard to predict that, guys, because, again, this is going to be unlike anything we've ever seen in terms of what the free agent market's going to be because of that cap drop and because so many teams have to get below that. And I also think that the Niners are just such an – this is a bigger conversation kind of within what we're talking about here, but the Niners are in a really difficult spot because think about at the beginning of the year, guys. I think probably I came on this podcast and we talked about, boy, it's going to be really difficult for the Niners to make a decision on who to sign and who not to sign with all these free agents they have. Mm-hmm. And now you look at it and you say, well, who else are they going to sign besides this guy, this guy, and this guy? Or, you know, who are the priorities mm-hmm. – there's not as many that look obvious as there was at the beginning of the year. There's still some, of course, but it's not quite the same. And the other piece of that puzzle is how do you evaluate guys that are hurt? Because you don't necessarily know, especially if they're older, you really have to be dispassionate and look at it objectively if you're the 49ers and say as much as we love this guy, and maybe this is what where rubber meets road with Richard Sherman. You know, We love this guy. We'd love to have him back. But at the end of the day, we just need to move on because we need to start thinking about the future and the big picture and trying to keep this window open as long as possible. And then the other part of it is how do you evaluate the guys who aren't injured because they don't have the pieces around them that allow them to succeed at the level that they're expecting or, or, or whatever. Maybe more is being put on their plate than what is expected of them so they don't look as good. There's all of those different pieces that make this really a, a fascinating and is going to be a very, very difficult offseason for the Niners on a number of levels. Kyle, I, I have I have a question for you. I want you to rank these three free agents in terms of how important you think they are to uh, to come back. Um, Kyle Uzcheck, Ronald Blair, and Kendrick Bourne. Give me give me those guys in a one, two, three order in terms of how they should be prioritized. I think that's the right order. I think it's Uzcheck, then Blair, then Bourne. Use check because there aren't a lot of players. I think you can just go snag and replace what he does as a blocker and as a as a pass catcher and just the versatility he has. Ronald Blair, the Niners' edge depth is is really not good. 
especially with free agency coming. I think Nick Bosa and D Ford are the only edge guys. And if you want to include Eric Armstead, Eric Armstead are the only edge guys on their roster, and you're going to have Bosa coming off an ACL, and who, who knows what D Ford's health is going to look like. So a guy like Ronald Blair who can play inside and play outside and be effective in both of those spots I think is is uh, a player that, that they should try and keep around. Bourne I think is good, but I think he's pretty replaceable in Kyle Shanahan's offense. I think I think that you can bring in several receivers and find a guy who fits that role. So that's why I think they are in that order. I yeah, agree. I think, yeah, I think I'd go I'd go use check Blair born not available as my top four. Uh, so that that would be that would be that would be the way to go. And I think Yuzchek is going to be an interesting one too, um, just based on the fact that he's got um, he's such a key piece of the offense. But there's not a lot of teams that are using fullbacks, and and even even though the Niners don't use him exclusively as a fullback, there's not a lot of teams that are going to do the same types of things that Kyle Shanahan is asking him to do. But he is a key piece to what they do, and so I, I'm also very curious to see if he gets another uh, big contract similar to the one he got last time, or if maybe the fact that he's a little bit older now, uh, maybe that market isn't quite the same as it was a few years ago. Barnwell uh, might lose his mind <clears throat> if check gets a similar contract. <laughs> <laughs> we we can't expect Nick to, to heavily criticize a cast member no, like I'm we not, have on this spot. We've, we've explained this before. Bill Barnwell <laughs> is extremely smart and very, very good at his job, but he has the thing against Kyle Juszczyk's contract that's very entertaining. <laughs> that's all. Um, all right. La- last free agent I think we should talk about is Trent Williams. And um, I'm really interested. I-, I have to think the 49ers are going to make him the-, the guy they prioritize the most um, because regardless of who who's playing quarterback – uh, you need a a good left tackle, and it just so happens that you have one of the best in the league who is already a good fit for your offense, um, who proved to be a plug-and-play guy. I know there were some hiccups early in the season, but um, it seems like things have smoothed out now. I know Pro Football Focus says Trent Williams is their highest-graded left tackle in the NFL this season. Um, so, Nick, I, I'm curious. We we know we can assume Trent Williams is going to get paid, but how paid is paid in in this situation? Because you have a few tackles in the sixteen million dollar a year range: Taylor Lewin, um, Anthony Costanzo, Ronnie Stanley just just made nearly twenty a year, and you have Laramie Tunzel in in Houston making twenty two a year. Now I know Williams is older; um, he's thirty two right now, but. Where, uh, 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 on the spectrum of, of left tackle contracts, do you think ultimately Williams is going to land? And, and do you think the 49ers are going to be in a spot where they're willing to hit that price? Yeah, to me, Williams is the one must-have. Uh, of all the guys we've talked about here and really every guy on the list, he's the one guy that I think they have to try to figure out a way to bring him back. And I think, to your point, yeah, I think the Tunsil one is going to remain a little bit of an outlier just because... He had Houston over a barrel. Like I mean, there that after that trade, uh, he had so much leverage. There was no way that they were going to do anything but sign him to basically whatever he asked for. Um, <laughs> and and that's kind of how it turned out. He got such a, a monster contract. I'm not sure another tackle is going to reach that, particularly in a year where the cap goes down. 
So I think the Ronnie Stanley deal actually is is probably a good baseline. I would think that Trent Williams, just because of his age and the fact that he, you know, it, it has only been one year since he returned and he, he is playing at a high level, but he's not he's not as young and doesn't have quite as much upside remaining as, as a guy like Stanley does. So maybe just a hair below what Stanley's at. So somewhere in that 17 to $18 million a year range. And I know that if you look at it, the Niners don't have a ton of cap space and you say, how are they going to make another one of those types of contracts fit? But they, there are ways to do that. There's ways that they can and should do that. It's hard for me to imagine them bringing back a Weston Richburg, bringing back D Ford. And I know there's there's going to be hits that they're going to have to take to make those moves to part with them. But that's just part of the cost of doing business. Is is you're going to have to you're going to have to eat some of that dead money, and it is ultimately going to save you enough money that you can start reinvesting that into guys like that. Because to me, guys, the two biggest priorities for the Niners in the offseason. Now, outside of figuring out the quarterback situation, I put that in a separate, you know, separate situation. But I think number one is is bringing Trent Williams back, and number two, finding a way to get Fred Warner signed to an extension. When you said Trent Williams right now, for some reason in my brain, I heard Trent Taylor, and I got <laughs> really confused. Like it was one of those like split second things that happens in your brain, like just super, and then you very quickly catch up to what's going on. But for less than half a second, my brain heard you say Trent Taylor, and man, I thought I, I thought I blacked out. What a massive curveball that would have been after my two-minute soliloquy about, yeah. about Trent Williams. <laughs> All of that about Trent Williams is to say. Yes. <laughs> While we're on the subject of this, I don't. I, I, don't I just. Think... I. Go ahead, Chris. No, I was just gonna say I don't know. I would be very surprised if Trent Taylor got a, got a contract just a hair below Ronnie Stanley's. That's my it'd, be, it'd, be, it'd be a hell of an interesting comp, though, between the two of them, for sure. Yeah, yeah true. true. I, I'm not ruling it out. I'm not saying it's likely, but I'm not <laughs> If a lot Trent of Taylor's people, agent pulls that off, I, I want to hire him immediately. Like, <laughs> yeah. Put it like that. I don't, I don't know where he – first of all, I want to know what he's, uh, what he's using, but uh, <laughs> second of all, let's sign me up. That would be something. I just I just think as far as Trent Williams goes, when he was struggling early in the year, I think through the first five weeks he'd allowed he'd allowed four sacks and that was more sacks than he'd given up in the previous three seasons combined and it, it was there was this question of like, hey, maybe they don't make him the highest paid left tackle. And then over the last three weeks he hasn't even a lot of pressure and it's like, Oh yeah. He's really excellent at at a position that's really hard to find elite players at. And I just if 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 you're not paying your left tackle, I I, I don't know who exactly you're paying. And and that's just it, Kyle, right there. What you just touched on is is the the premium positions. Where are you investing your money? And in a perfect world, your highest paid guys are your number one corner, your number one edge rusher, your left tackle, and your quarterback. And then you have like that fifth spot that maybe goes to uh, someone else who's very good, like a Kittle. It just happens to be really good and, and plays tight end or a receiver or whatever. Uh, but that's that's really going to be the big thing for the, for the 49ers is who are you building around? And, and they're, 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 they've kind of reached that breaking point now where they, they're not in a position where they can go pay outside free agents. They're paying their own guys, which is a good thing, of course. But they still have to be really cognizant of who are the guys that they're paying the big money to within their team because when you start structuring your team, you want those the, those premium contracts to go to premium positions in an ideal world. And if we go back to the DeForest Buckner thing, 
I really believe that was a big part of why they didn't pay DeForest Buckner because, again, he checked every single box that you could want a guy to check to be a foundational player for your team, except for one thing. He didn't play a position that in the grand scheme of things really matters unless your name is Aaron Donald. And, and that's nothing to take away from DeForest Buckner. I think very, very highly of him. I think he's a great player. I think everybody does. And I think they miss him a lot. But I really think that's what it came down to. And so left tackle, I think, would, would absolutely fall into that, that bucket of positions that really matter that you want to pay. Did you factor in his overarm move? Uh, you mean the swim move? Yeah. yeah, I didn't know that. I didn't know that the name had changed. Arm, arm over. I guess is is the new name for it. That that's what the youths are calling it. Well, anytime you can add an extra word <laughs> name, it really it really, really makes it useful. So yeah. that's a plus. Yeah, yeah. For sure. All right, I'm gonna take the rocker step to the exit here, and uh, thank you, Nick, so much for for joining us tonight. And uh, yeah, do you guys have prediction. Let's end on this. You guys have <laughs> predictions for uh, for Sunday against the Saints. I think I think our predictions were said in the fact that we mentioned zero things about the game. Okay, yeah, I'm 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 going Saints by double digits. I think. Yeah, yeah I, I think my prediction for ESPN.com was 37 to 20 Saints, something like yeah. that. So uh, yeah. I'll just go ahead and stick with that. That sounds about right. All right, and fair. probably well, I think we're gonna get a typical. And because the NFL is weird, maybe it goes a little bit differently than than it sounds like we all think it's going to go. But I think we get a kind of typical Saints pull away and the Niners get a couple of touchdowns late. Because I just think injury-wise, that's kind of what this team is capable of against good teams right now. It's the 49ers' first game with fans in the stands, guys. Did you know that? Big, big storyline. Wow. Huge. 6,000? Yeah. 6,000 is uh, bummed, bummed. We're not flying to New Orleans this weekend, but hopefully, uh, hopefully, at some point soon we can all travel again. All right, everybody, stay safe. Call Butcher and tell him to keep a Cuban, a couple Cuban sandwiches ready for us for next time. Yeah, seriously. Um, all right, next time, next next week, we will recap the Saints game and whatever important developments happen down in the Superdome. Um, until then, everybody have a good weekend and uh, enjoy the game. Bye. Have you heard about the 2018 study that showed half of prenatal vitamins tested had unacceptable levels of heavy metals? No? Well, now you have. I'm Kat, mother of three and founder of Ritual, a company making traceability the new standard in the supplement industry. I remember staring at my prenatal vitamins and finding all these things I was trying to avoid. High amounts of heavy metals, synthetic colorants, and unnecessary ingredients. So... At four months pregnant, I quit my job and started Ritual because I believe that all women deserve to know what they're putting in their bodies and why. I'm so proud of our prenatal vitamins. The ingredients are 100% traceable, it's third-party tested for microbes and heavy metals, and recently received the Purity Award from the Clean Label Project. You see, we trace like a mother because, let's be honest, no one cares quite like a mother. But don't just take my word for it. Trace for yourself with 25% off at ritual.com slash prenatal.